The first wish I ever granted was for a 75-year-old gentleman who was a stand-up comedian. He wanted to meet Jon Stewart. And he wasn't on the show, but okay. he was right in the front of the audience. And oh, okay. Jon Stewart kind of directed a lot of his dialogue toward him. And at the end of the show, he came over and presented the gentleman with a signed script of the show for the day. And the guy was just elated. Hi, everyone. This is the Agewise Podcast. Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down. Where we talk about aging well. It's an issue that nobody wants to talk about. And wisely. I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of. I'm Jana Panaritis. Many of us are familiar with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which grants the wishes of children with life-threatening medical conditions. But did you know there's also an organization making dreams come true for older adults? We're going to hear about that and more from today's guest, James Siervo. James has been working with older adults in the healthcare community for decades and is a respected authority on senior therapeutic recreation. He's also the regional chapter director of the Twilight Wish Foundation, which is making our world a nice place to age, one wish at a time. James, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Good morning, and thank you for having me. I want to start with you telling us a little bit about how you became involved in working with older adults and what inspired you to embrace that line of work. I was a hairdresser for a number of years, Mm -hmm. and actually, that was my big influence. I worked in a very peculiar spot where the parking lot had a very big dip in the middle of it before you came back up to get into the store. And a Mm -hmm. woman used to drop her 84-year-old mother off at the curb every week. So I would go out and walk her across the parking lot, because sometimes the the middle was filled with water, Mm -hmm. and she'd have to go around. And of course, at 80-something years old, you're very unstable. And these were the years where she had a pocketbook in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand, (laughs) and she'd be toddling across. So one day I went out to the daughter, and I said, you know what? Rosalie was the daughter's name. I said, Rosalie, why don't I pick your mother up on the way to work in the morning, and then I'll just take her home on the way home. Well, the daughter was delighted because she didn't have to do it herself. So I started picking her up doing her hair, buying her lunch, sitting her under the dryer all afternoon, and, you know, we'd chit-chat in between customers, and then I'd drive her home in the afternoon, and that turned into picking up three old ladies on Uh Saturday morning. (laughs) The word got around. (laughs) Do their hair. And, of course, then it's three tuna melts and three french fries, so it cost me more to do their hair than it did, of course, we were feeding them than it did to make on what they were getting paid to get their hair done. Oh, my gosh. But, um... After another life-changing event, my mother had said, why don't you become a social worker? And in my youth, I thought, oh, social worker, that's like a social director. It's going to be really fun. And I wound up uh, applying for a job in a local nursing home, and I applied for a therapeutic recreation position, and I kind of lied and said I had a degree in recreation, and I didn't. And I quickly, within like six months, I became the activity coordinator for the cognitively impaired because I was able to really relate to them for some reason. I mean, I was able to, I had patients and I had a personality that just kind of calmed them down and redirected them. And I just kind of used some common sense in redirecting some behaviors. And I just kind of moved up. So I finally realized I should go to school and start getting a degree before they check. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what sort of degree did you have to get? I wound up with an associate's degree in therapeutic recreation. Of course, I was still in the process of deciding whether I wanted to stay in this field or not, and I thought I'd decide to go for education. So after my two years of recreation degree, I went for elementary ed, 
and realized that I couldn't, not that I couldn't stand kids, but I couldn't stand the parents of the kids. So, of course, through this whole thing, I still continue to work at the nursing home. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. wondered how much attention was being paid to the different needs of residents with dementia when you arrived and how that changed. We did have a locked unit, Mm -hmm. which was very sterile. I sort of introduced a daily program, and we called it Club Med. Uh And it just had various activities spread out around what was the dining hall slash the activity room. Mm -hmm. And we'd put them in a room and and we'd encourage them to engage in these little programs that we had, either shuffling cards or folding laundry, playing skill ball or or a beanbag toss, all different things around the room, magazines, coloring. Coloring back then was considered infantile and they didn't want to see you coloring. Now it's mindfulness. Right. (laughs) You're allowed to color. Uh-huh. You know, so we had quite a few restrictions as well as far as people's dignity. But my approach was always, why argue with them? Just get into their world, play pretend, and they'll be much happier. They'll be less stressed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess that was the beginning of when the culture started to change for more memory care. Mm-hmm. And what year are we talking about, approximately? 1993. That's really early with any awareness. Yeah, there was very little. And from there, I just kept moving up. And then I decided, you know, I got very involved with my trade associations, and I also, I also brought my hobbies into work, which was very good to just relate to with, with the people, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was a hairdresser for a bunch of times. I had pets. Mm-hmm. I would bring my dog to work. And mm-hmm. now, of course, all these things are called therapies, so. Yeah. Are you still working at the same facility? Uh, no, I've been in the facility I'm at now for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. I did have a slight career change at one point, experiencing a little burnout being in the caretaking industry. And I went on a trip to Thailand and I saw how they treated not only their elderly, but their patients. And there was no bells and whistles in their hospitals. There was no personal alarms. And there was just such a different professionalism in caring that when I came back, my mother had been diagnosed with cancer. I quit my job at the nursing home and I went to work for the American Cancer Society as an income development director. Wow. Is your mom still living? No, my mother passed last year, six weeks after my partner. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to go back for a minute to what you said about being in Thailand and the differences. I think you mentioned on the phone that you would not want to retire here, that you would want to be cared for in Thailand. What is it about America's retirement homes, as you've experienced it, that is an attraction? As a matter of fact, where I would go if I was going to be demented would be to the Netherlands because they have a great program. But the culture for caring is not the same in the United States. It's not in us to care for our elderly or each other, for that matter. I'm sure that you've seen this shift with more people aging in their homes. Is that something that you've seen a huge uptick in in your years? I mean, that's the, that's the trend now, right? Moving. I'm starting to see that more now. Mm-hmm. You know, where I live, Long Island's a very high tax area. People can't afford to have that help come into the home, is what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing in the community. And let's face it, some people think it's much easier to just put their mother into a place rather than have to worry about coming over and maintaining a yeah. second home. Or mm-hmm. How big is the facility that you're at now? How many residents? I'm in a very small facility. It's 120 beds. And what percentage would you say of those residents are dealing with dementia? I'd probably say at least 75% to one degree to the other. Oh, that's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, from mild confusion, you could say, up to severe dementia and stage. End stage. And do you think that the staff 
does a good job outside of your own way of relating to I patients? Think, yeah, I think the staff does the best job that they can with the tools they are provided. What do you and mean by the, that? What tools are well, they provided with? Time would be is, is a great tool. I mean, if had, they had more time and more assistance, it would be even better. I always put it this way. It takes me as a able-bodied, hopefully not demented, 50-year-old man plus an hour in the morning to get myself ready. Washed, dressed, shaven, bathroom, make my bed. How can we expect one girl who has an assignment of 8 to 12 people to get that many people that are compromised up and out of bed in a comfortable, dignified manner? It seems to me impossible. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... That is the trend in many places. I don't think you're going to find a place locally. I mean, for myself, I'm only speaking, that's not going to have that same predicament. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, if a girl calls in sick, then what happens? Yeah, well, there's so much turnover in the industry. When my mom was living at ALF, she was on one of two floors that had 34 beds for the assisted living wing, and they only had two staff people for Mm -hmm. 34 people. Right, and the number doesn't add up, does it? No, and it's notoriously low pain. I mean, yeah, we could... That's another... You don't go in it to make money. Right. I mean, even in myself. I mean, it's not like I make a fortune. I mean, I still cut hair on the side. I I do a little side... Oh. Little side jobs to keep myself going, mm-hmm. because you're not going to maybe be a millionaire until you move up. I guess into that corporate world. Unfortunately, I haven't had that mm-hmm. experience. Well, not that I want it, but you know, now we're being taken over by a, a bigger company. You are, the, yeah, the facility. yeah. We're in the process of being taken, which, as I've been watching it, it's had its good and its bad parts. Whereas they're more into the quality of life in activity for the residents and for the people with dementia. I'm listening to other department heads saying how their budgets are being cut. One of them being dietary because they have a mathematical formula to feed the amount of people in each building. It's mind-boggling. I mean, if you think about it, feeding one person on, say, $3.50 a day, which I'm sure that's on the high end. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but I continue to do it. <laughs> Do you see the family members coming and going? To what extent Mm -hmm. are they involved? And do you have an um, example of a a resident that you are particularly close with? This is a problem because, you know, I've been there for so long. And when you think about the amount of time that you spend working as opposed to the amount of time you spend with your family, this becomes your family. So it's, you know, your grandmother dying 12 times a year. Oh, At least. yeah, sure. Or your grandfather, you know, it's it's people you get to know. I mean, there's, there's great stories about going home and being successful and coming back and even volunteering at some point, you know, some of them. But hmm. that's not the norm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've experienced things in, in my early career when granny dumping was pretty prevalent with, you know, people couldn't take care of their parents at home. One guy came in, he put his mother in the wheelchair, brought her to the front desk. He says, I'm just going to park my car. And that was the last we ever saw of him. And he just left her there. That's so sad. Yeah, it's very sad. But I mean, in his defense, we didn't know what he was going through every day. Keeping her safe, keeping her behaviors to a minimum, orienting her to who he was because she probably had forgotten. You know, she had pretty severe Alzheimer's. So what did you, what do you do in a situation like that? How do you handle it? Well, I was very young at that point, but I'm sure there was a ton of legalities between, you know, who was going to pay. And right. We, don't, we, didn't, we, do, we didn't ship her out. We, we kept her in the facility. She wound up being a long-term resident. And, uh, but it's sad. You know, but again, we don't know what they're going through at home. I mean, we didn't have all these memory care places in the 90s and the 80s. Yeah. Do you still have that problem now of granny dumping? Uh, no. 
I don't see that happening as much because people have the resources, you know, to place someone. Mm-hmm. Do many of your residents come with their children who worry about finances, or how do people come to the facility? I recognize this isn't necessarily your direct line of work. Yeah, but from what I notice, it's a confusing system. We have a very broken system that does not make it easy for people to find information and understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's uh, so many loopholes and there's so many confusing aspects of, uh, like, just say Medicare and Medicaid. And when you're when you're dealing with someone who's confused anyway, and then you're reading material that's confusing, yeah. you kind of feel like it's like you're going out of your you're going out of your mind. You're going crazy. You know, like you're calling me crazy. And here you have these rules for placement, and my insurance is going to be cut. And they're they're always worried about something. When you say that, you're talking about the new resident, the family, the family. Yeah, both. Mm-hmm. Well, because the, you know it transfers down. I hate yeah. to use the expression that shit rolls downhill, but in mm-hmm. that case, it does, because everybody gets a part of it. I think that when people come to an ALF or a nursing home at that point, they have arrived at a state of either complete desperation or else they're in denial and they just want to get it over with. Um, mm-hmm. There are so many emotional factors at play there for the family members. Oh, sure. And those are for the and ones that show up. Yeah, for the <laughs> ones that show up is right. And then you do have the other aspect. I mean, I do have one woman that put herself there because she didn't want to be a burden to her kids. Mm. She knew her health was compromised, and, you know, she did it on her own. There's so many different cases. I have one woman who, you know, the daughter comes and says, oh, my mother used to do nothing at home. She'd sit and watch TV. And blah, blah, blah. Well, at home, she never wanted to be a bother to her daughter, but when she got to the nursing home, all of a sudden she started a knitting group. She crochets every day. She goes out on trips. That's great. Says, well, maybe she was bored at home. You didn't entertain her enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or you didn't have the time to entertain her. Right. I mean, now she's got a network, and she's got people all around her. Uh huh. Let's talk a little bit about the Twilight Wish Foundation and how oh. you got involved with that, and what the Wish Foundation is all about. It's a wonderful organization. We are a five hundred one c three not for profit, and we are in the business of making people happy, which is wonderful. And uh, how I got involved was probably around, uh, I guess, twelve, thirteen years ago, which was probably around the time I came from Thailand. I thought about starting my own foundation because I was working for the Cancer Society, so it was around 2007. And I said, why don't I start my own foundation? If the American Cancer Society can do it to fight cancer, why can't we do it for something else, to do good for the seniors that need so much help? And I guess AARP was very young at that point, so I did some research, and then all of a sudden I came across this woman, Cass Forkin, and what she was granting wishes for seniors. And I said, oh, so on a, on a trip uh, to Pittsburgh, on the way home, I scheduled an appointment with her. She was from Pennsylvania, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And uh, I met with her and another board member at the time was uh, this gentleman, Jean Petrucci. And we kind of clicked right off. And she kind of sensed my passion for seniors. And I says, well, you know, I just was working for the Cancer Society. There's no reason why we can't do events and raise money and grant wishes. And 13 years later, we're on our wish, probably more than 2,700 wishes. Wow. And it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience, and we keep growing. And it has its good and bad points as well, because you see the different aspects of people's lives, but it's, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It really is, for the most part, is absolutely wonderful. Very rewarding and very motivating for other people. Uh-huh. Can you give an example of a wish or two that was granted? The first wish I ever granted was for a 75-year-old gentleman who was a stand-up comedian. He wanted to meet John Stewart. So we wound up arranging a very quick meeting with John Stewart. It was more like an introduction, but the whole experience was, you know, we brought him and his daughter into the city. We took them out to a beautiful lunch. Then we walked over to the studio. We were greeted by the studio personnel. 
and they had explained to him that, you know, he's very busy, but he's going to try and come over to you and talk. And he did come over and introduce himself, said hello, and directed a lot of the dialogue of the show to him. And the guy was just elated. Was he on the show? And he wasn't on the show, but okay. he was right in the front of the audience. And oh, okay. John Stewart kind of directed a lot of his dialogue toward him. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the show, he came over and presented the gentleman with a signed script of the show for the day. Oh my gosh, that's great. So the guy was, he just so appreciated it. So that was my first wish. And another wish I granted was for a woman who needed a stove. She had been without a stove in her apartment for, I'd say, seven or eight months, and wrote to us, and she wanted a new stove, and we got her a stove, got it installed. She's happy cooking and calling me every single holiday to thank me. (laughs) I mean, and at least two or three years ago that we've done that wish. We did do one wish with a woman who drove across the United States in a Mack truck. Wow. She drove across the United States in a Mack truck, and whoever sponsored her wish got to put their logo on the side of the trailer. Uh-huh. And it was called Hot Truck and Mama. Hot Truck and Mama? Yeah. And it's been really, really great. Well, um, how do you find these people? How do they come to you? Oh, the wish recipients? Mm-hmm. People nominate them. Quite a few lately that I've been doing have been nominated by social workers. Social workers are finding us. And we're getting well-known because of the Rosie the Riveter movement, which has been very big. Rosie the Riveter is having their own Rosie the Riveter Day. It's going to be a federally recognized day because of the efforts of Twilight Wish. We granted a wish to a woman who wanted to go to a reunion of Rosie the Riveters. Explain to people, for people who don't know, who Rosie the Riveter is and what that's all about. Rosie the Riveter is a character that represents the women that stayed back during World War II that took up jobs that men would do. So they were putting together artillery and machinery on the home front whilst the men were out fighting World War II. So now they're being recognized for all their efforts of keeping the hometown lights on. Right. And they're finally getting their deserved recognition. So, uh, you know, people finding out about us through that. We do a lot of work with veterans. As a matter of fact, I wrote a grant to bring a preschool up to the nursing home, and we did a 12-month program of kids coming in to visit the preschool, and every month we had a healthy snack, and we had an interactive activity and a little parade, and a lot of fun. Kids coming and, to uh, the, the senior home, the, the senior home, home, right? And interacting with okay. the residents, yeah, which which was wonderful. Unfortunately, the uh, kinder care closed down in our area, so we had to find a new way, new group of kids. But so we try to encourage, you know, intergenerational programs. We're trying to become more of a presence in every state. We've got requests to open chapters in other countries already. Right. Well, where are the various chapters located now? Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Connecticut, Arizona, and I believe we have a new one in Texas and one in Maine. Mm-hmm. And how do you find sponsors? It's a lot of hitting the pavement. Hitting the pavement, Uh uh-huh. A lot of hitting the pavement. We do a lot of small fundraisers. We are 100% volunteer. We only have three paid employees that work probably 15 hours a week each, Uh, Hmm. and that's our vice president of finance who does all of our bookkeeping Mm -hmm. and keeps all our auditing in order. Mm -hmm. We have a marketing and public relations young lady who writes all of our copy and press releases. And then we have another woman who organizes the wishes and keeps all the records on each wish. So they're a group of very dedicated young ladies that we rely on a lot. And we have an ever-growing board. So they help you find the money. Yeah. Wow, and that's been something you've been involved with since 2007? Yep. As a matter of fact, I just got awarded for a 13-year award. Wow. James, how do you think that has changed you? The work both with the seniors and the Twilight Wish Foundation has changed you. Well, that's a tricky question because life changes, mm. you know, and, you know, my life changed. So, I mean, but I, it's 
ever inspiring. You know, I'm always wanting to do for somebody else something more, like somebody who really needs something done for them, you know? And I think I see now more of what people don't have mm. because of what I've been able to provide them with. Does that make sense? Yeah. I see, yeah, I see a, a lot more pain and suffering and anguish over aging as opposed to how it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, joyful and peaceful. And, you know, these people have done their time. They've lived, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. It's still, they put in their time. They need, these are supposed to be your relaxing, peaceful years. Yeah. And I don't see that. It's very stressful. I mean, you know, think about going into a nursing home. All of a sudden, you have an alarm that goes off every time you stand up. Every time you move, there's a string attached to your back that goes, woo, 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 woo. Right. Whether you're that person or the person next to them, it's the most frustrating thing and stress. You were close to your mom, right? Yes. Me and my mother worked on quite a few wishes together. Oh, wow. As well, yeah. What sort of cancer did she have? She was a three-time cancer survivor. She had endometrial cancer quite a few years ago. Mm. Then another number of years ago, she wound up having breast cancer. So they found two types of breast cancer. And, uh, you know, at our family meetings, I have four brothers, and Mm -hmm. we got together, and my sister-in-law's, and we discussed the pros and cons of treatments and what to do. And she decided to go with a double mastectomy because, you know, she was getting up there in years, and the more times you have surgery, the more difficult it is for you to come out of it the way you went in. And we figured, oh, well, then if you have no breast, you're not going to have any more breast cancer. Unfortunately, with that, she had two types of cancer, and the, the one had a 20% chance of coming back, and it came back and metastasized into her bones. Mm. So uh, she wound up a year of a quite uncomfortable death. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, and she died around the same time that your partner did? You um, my partner died April 4th. She died June 22nd. And this was last year? Of last year, 2017. Oh, gosh. Yeah. How long were you with your partner? 23 years we were together. Mm. And, and what did uh, he die of? I'm sorry. I he didn't... had a heart attack. Oh. He had a heart attack. I found him at, in his home on the bedroom floor, reaching mm. for the phone, mm. which probably was me calling him to make sure everything was okay. <laughs> yeah. Was so he... I've since um, memorialized yeah. the two of them mm-hmm. with our uh, Twilight Wishes has a new initiative of what we're calling the Week of Wishes, and it's usually in nursing home week. Uh, which is this year, May 13th to the 19th. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm finding a breast cancer survivor, and I'm going to grant a wish for a breast cancer survivor senior. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to grant a wish in honor of my partner of a um, LGBT veteran, if I can find one. How hard will that be? I found the one. <laughs> wow, great. <laughs> I found the breast cancer survivor who also happens to be LGBT, but she worked doing mammograms and did a lot of volunteer work with the American Cancer Society for making strides against breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to honor her. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm speaking a little prematurely, but mm-hmm. she's got a great wish. What's her wish? Can you to say? To meet Ellen. Oh, she wants to meet Ellen. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot of work, but uh-huh. <laughs> I'll try. You got it. to John Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> a lot of persistence, but I got to him. So are you going to combine the two, veteran and LGBT, into that one person? Or are you going to seek out another? No, I'm uh, going to seek out another. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to do two. I saw that you granted a wish for a senior to have a fighter jet ride. That looks pretty cool. Uh, yes, that was another one we did. That was the headquarters. Our headquarters does a lot. They're located in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and they're all very big dealers fans. And uh, the networking that goes on to connect people that want to help out is phenomenal. Yeah, Pittsburgh is I mean, a, a small town mentality, and it yeah. is very connected. It's a cool city that way. Yes, and uh, Philadelphia also is funny that way. I guess because they're smaller than New York, but it's just been a great experience 
experience working with so many different people. You know, Kes Forkin, who is the founder of Twilight Wish, just got honored by the um, Foundation of the Four Chaplains. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Their uh, foundation was started because of four chaplains that were on a ship February 3rd, uh, the USS Dorchester, and it was, was going towards, I think, Greenland, and it was hit by a missile. And uh, while everyone was getting off, these four chaplains joined arms and gave up their life preservers for other people, and they went down with the ship. So there's a foundation for them, and they give out quite a few awards during the year, and Cass this year got the Humanitarian of the Year Award. Wow. For all the work and the inspiration we've been providing with Twilight Wish. Uh, since that turned into the executive director of four foundations has just been nominated to sit on the board of Twilight Wish, thinking how two charities can collaborate, granting wishes and recognizing veterans. Right. So your promotional material says that one third of all Twilight Wishes granted are for veterans and they can fall into any of the other three programs, which are simple needs like lift chairs, hearing aids. Mm -hmm. Celebrating a life wishes, meaningful and nostalgic wishes granted for hospice patients or recipients with limited life expectations. Uh, Those can be wishes for family reunions, visits to hometowns. Then you have living life to the fullest wishes. The jet, the fighter in the jet ride was an example of that. Those are the fun ones. Those are the fun ones. And then you have the veterans wishes, which gives you an opportunity, as it says, to thank veterans, many in nursing homes, for what they've done for others over the years and show that we remember and care. It must be really hard for you to choose among all these great recipients. People. Well, we try to do as many as we can. Mm-hmm. If there's any other examples that you want to share, feel free. Well, I have one. The, the one wish I did receive a request from was a social worker, and it was to redecorate a room for a 95-year-old demented patient that was being discharged to the hospital back to her own home. Uh, this is the one wish that I worked on with my mother. And, you know, they're not always fun. There's always there's sometimes a sad side to them. Yeah. So what had happened with this particular wish, she had a, a brownstone in Brooklyn, which a neighborhood that's changing. And money motivates a lot of people, and it kind of motivated her family to put her in a nursing home, thinking that they were going to move into this home, and she'd be staying in the nursing home until a social worker said, you know, this woman has a home. That's where she belongs. So when they went for the judge, the judge went on the side of the woman. Yes, she will go home. She'll have 24-hour care for the rest of her life, and she'll die in her home. And the family was to make accommodations. Well, they actually trashed the entire living section upstairs where she used to live. The family? Yeah, the nephew. Terrible Mm. nephew. Mm. And what they did was put her in a studio apartment in the basement. They didn't even pay for an exterminator. I mean, and I don't know if you're familiar with how those brownstones work. You know, it's underneath the front stairs. Yes, front I, I lived in a brownstone on South Portland okay. Avenue in Fort Greene. Yep, so she's, <laughs> she's down in the bottom. There was actually a chandelier hanging in the middle of the room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was awful. And the aide had to, like, bend over to put the poor woman in bed around this chandelier. Not to mention that it was dark and dank. And oh. it, it was just on the verge. He was doing the bare minimum. What we did, we went in, painted the whole place, put a ceiling fan in, lights. I made orientation boards mm. so that the aides can communicate throughout the day what, what the patient did and what the resident uh, did during the day. And, uh, you know, as I'm talking to the little old lady, because we had to do it in, in two stages, you know, we had to see what we did a site visit. And uh, then it had to come back and just do some of the finer details, you know, put curtains up. I got new bedding and new beds for the aide to sleep on because they were here 24 hours a day. We got her a flat screen TV, put it on the wall. Mm beautiful area rug so that the whole room just came together, you know, and it looked nice. 
And before I left to come, the one time I says, you know, is there something I can get for you? And she looked at me and she says, a rum and coke. Oh. Well, I have since adopted this woman because I went back at Christmas time and I brought her a Christmas tree, decorated it, brought her some Christmas presents, had a wonderful time with her in the afternoon. And of course, I brought her her rum and coke. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And she's in the basement of this brownstone? She's in the basement, yeah. And the rest of the brownstone is occupied by other family members? Nobody. Nobody. I didn't go upstairs. My mother had gone upstairs when we went and, and came down crying. Wait, why is down. it occupied? Is it still trashed? Well, it's, it's trashed. It's still trashed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it sounds like it reached a stage where it went before a judge, uh, so yep. there was a, a legal proceeding involved yes. with guardianship yes. issues. Right. Yeah, terrible for her. I mean, you know, this is a woman who worked for the phone company all her life. Yeah, and how old is she you know, now? She's 95. She's 95, and you go and see her. Then they called me for a chair, an easy <laughs> chair for her. I says, oh, okay, so it, the creator or whoever you want to believe in works in such mysterious ways because when that call came through, an acquaintance I had through horseback riding called me and said, hey, my mother just ordered this reclining chair, but unfortunately, she's too big for it. She can't sit in it. She goes, she'll donate it. Do you know anybody that can use it? I says, funny that you're calling because I just got a call from my little old lady in Brooklyn that needs an easy chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she must have been thrilled. Well, she was ecstatic when I brought the chair over. And yet, I, I, I'm pretty confident that she recognizes who I am, considering I only see her every few Oh, I'm months. sure. But, um, yeah. You know, she smiles when she sees me, and that yeah. kind of warms me up, you know. Mm-hmm. But thinking of the tragedy that she went through was the depressing part. You know, yeah. so knowing that I kind of helped alleviate that is soul-soothing for me. I'll bet. You know, it's a very high burnout field, this is, that people don't realize. But you need to do those good things in order to uh, avoid the bad. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do for fun? You mentioned horseback riding, in order to keep your spirits up. Yeah, I, I horseback ride, I kayak, I have a dog and a cat. I love to travel. Uh, I love road trips. I love camping. I go to the gym regularly. I try to live somewhat of a healthy lifestyle. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's been a tough year for me because of the changes I've been going through myself, you know, my personal losses. But, you know, granting the wishes is also becoming a hobby. You know, it's a fun thing to work on. I'm starting to do more fundraising events and get more people involved. And it's helping in my personal growth, whereas I can't be the one-man warrior anymore. And I have to realize that I've got to give up some control and let other people help me help others. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, because it's so much easier for me to just, I know what I need, I know what I want, I know what I'm going to do, to just do it and mm-hmm. then find people to help as opposed mm-hmm. to, I should just reach out and have other people help from the beginning. Yeah, that's tough for us uh, control freaks. It is. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) What are your concerns with aging as you go forward? For myself? Yeah. I don't want to go into a nursing home. I'm terrified of that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking as I age of going to a right-to-die state, you know, if I was going to stay in the United States. I mean, I kind of like the idea of having a party on Friday night and going by appointment on Saturday morning. You know, you get to say uh, all your goodbyes. And, you know, I think I think a lot of that is changing also. I mean, and I don't know what the future will bring. I mean, as far as euthanasia goes, who knows? But, uh, you know, whereas we used to go and have three days of a dead body. You know, now people are doing the one day, if at all, doing anything. I mean, for Mike, I'm just doing a celebration of life, and it's a year on his year anniversary. Uh-huh. Mike was your partner? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. didn't want to have a wake and all that stuff. People mm-hmm. left sitting around crying. He says, I'm going to have a party and then have a great big party and everybody have fun. I don't want to have everybody crying, which is I'm the same way. I don't want everybody sitting around crying, and especially for three days. Don't. Me neither. Yeah. 
No thanks. So I think coming on stream is going to be a lot more people thinking that way. And you know, it's funny because I'm always planning. You know, <laughs> I've always been planning my future. <laughs> right. You know, I, I live in a townhouse because I never wanted to have to worry about not being able to cut the grass and maintain the outside putting a roof on or, or shingles. Or, so I've always been looking out for my future. And now I'm at the next stage mm-hmm. where I live in a three-story townhouse. I'm thinking, Stair well, lift. maybe I need to sell this. <laughs> Either chairlift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to have to move it because I also have Mike's place, which mm-hmm. is a one-bedroom apartment, ground level. That works. So I'm sitting there saying, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, usually what I'm finding is either your body fails you or your brain fails you, your mind fails you. you Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it is both, yes. But more of what I say is one or the other. And I I think about every day and say, which one do I want? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to be walking around mindless, which there is an innocence to it, or do I want to be laying in bed knowing that I can't do anything physically? And it's such a scary choice. You know, if you were given the choice, which would you take? Do you want your mind so that you could see what's happening to you, or? Well, I don't think I'd want either, but I think I'd prefer to go with the body falling apart. But again, you know, I think because as baby boomers, we're so much more aware. I think we're going to experience aging very differently than our parents. So we're going to demand more. We're, I mean, I exercise almost every day. Not that that's Mm going to prevent anything necessarily, but... I'm stacking the odds in my favor in as many right. ways as I can. <laughs> right. Well, it's proven it does help you. So, I mean, you're doing the right thing. Well, James, I don't want to keep you on the phone for too much longer, but I do want you to tell people how they can get involved with the Twilight Wish Foundation. Well, we're always looking for volunteers, and we're always looking to set up new chapters. You can call us at our headquarters. That's area code 215 You can visit us online at www.twilightwishfoundation.org. You can nominate someone on the website. You can make donations on the website, and uh, they are state-categorized. So if you have a particular state you want to donate to, you can do that through the website. And there's plenty of information on how you can get involved. One click away. One click away. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to leave with listeners before we close? My last thoughts would be to be mindful of seniors. A lot of them have put in a lot of years of hard work, and uh, no one's walked in anyone else's shoes, so we really need to be more mindful of how we treat others, Mm. others in general. We've been speaking with James Siervo. He's the regional chapter director of the Twilight Wish Foundation. He's based in New York, and you can find out more about the foundation, as James said, through the information he provided, but we will also provide links to the organization on the AgeWise website, so be sure to check that out. James, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for all the work that you're doing. It's just so admirable, and I know it's not easy. So thanks for being on the show. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes. Head on over to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z.com. And use our search feature to discover some great conversations with guests who talk about issues of specific interest to you. You'll get tips, find links to useful information, and best of all, know you're not alone. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.